We're back in looking at the wanderings in the wilderness. The cost and consequences of carnality is what we've been looking at in Numbers and Exodus. We've seen these people in the wilderness that just got saved out of Egypt, fearful of Pharaoh's army. Two times they complained about the food they didn't have and about the food they did have. Angels' food, yet they complained about this dry manner, picturing the word of God. They two times, and there's a third time to come, where they complained about drink, the bitter waters at Marah and Rephidim, where they didn't have water and the rock was smitten. We've seen idolatry with huh, good old Aaron cast saying, I just threw it in the fire and it come out a golden calf. And God was not pleased with these. We see them lusting for the leeks and onions and garlics of Egypt. We saw them challenging the leadership. In chapter 12, there were the, we might say, rulers in the family line, the relatives. And then there was the, the rulers of the tribe of, I mean, of the group of Levi, yes, the tribe of Levi, that complained about Moses' leadership. Now, <clears throat> We, today, I've entitled it several, there's so many things you can entitle this, but the straw that broke the camel's back. We know what that means, don't we? This is the final straw. And uh, it's like the book of Romans, chapter 1, 2, and 3. But in chapter 1, God, had, God said to the people and to sinners, you know, <clears throat> I've given you up. And he said it again, I've given you up. And then he said, I've given you over to the lust of your flesh to do what you want and the consequences will keep coming. And this is very similar to what God is saying to these people in the wilderness. I've given you up. This is a straw that broke the camel's back as far as God's patience with them is concerned. And we will see the consequences of what happened to them. <clears throat> They're about to go into the enemy's territory, capture the land, the land of milk and honey. And as we pointed out once before, what happened between Exodus 32, where Moses drew a line in the sand, he said, he that is for the Lord, come over this side. And the Levites all come over. Korah and his friends and family all came over. But the time chapter 16 come, which is less than a year later, Korah is rising up in rebellion against Moses and said, who made you a leader over us? We, we want to take over. We want part of that. And remember what happened. The earth swallowed him up. But what happened between is what we're looking at this morning. The straw that broke the camel's back. <clears throat> this is the final thing that they did that said, God said, no, that's it for you guys. For you, you people in the wilderness, for you that were delivered by the salvation and the arm and strong arm of the Lord from Egypt, this is that's it. No, no more opportunity. So let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing as we look and consider these words today. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for these chapters, this example of the Old Testament in the Old Testament for us who are today living. Lord, we need to learn from their mistakes not learning from our own and having the judgment of the Lord fall on us. Thank you that you've warned us and you warned them, but they didn't heed. 
because the word was not mixed with faith in them that heard it. I pray, Lord, that you'd strengthen us to conquer the land that remains as well until you come, very little time, a lot of land to, to take. But, Lord, give us the victory through the strong arm of the Lord which provides salvation to all who will come unto him. And bless his holy name, and in his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> now, as I said, this is what happened between Exodus 32 and Numbers 16. This event that uh, Brother John read from in chapter 13, and it goes right through to the end of chapter 14. So we'll move very quickly, just taking verses from, picking verses from these two chapters. We first of all have the command to send the spies that wasn't read in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 13. The Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran, all those men who were heads of the children of Israel. Now, here the command is given to send the spies. These were not just anybody. These were leaders. These were rulers. These were respected men among the people. These were one that, ones that Moses thought would be responsible as they went up to the promised land and searched it out and spied it out. Uh, who is in control of the assembly of God's people in the wilderness here? God is, and the Lord spoke to The Lord's telling them to do this. Even today, as Romans 12.3 says, God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. He is in control. Let no man think of himself more highly than he ought to think, it says in that verse. But to think soberly. These people had a privileged position, and a very important position, and a very important uh, opportunity to... In, in, in the face of the people of all of Israel. Now, <clears throat> whose is the true church today? It's the Lord's, isn't it? I will build my church. He is in control. The commandment comes from him. Have we got some direct commands for us today to do what he wants? <laughs> Very much so. Matthew 28, 19, 20. Go ye therefore. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Go and take the gospel. The Lord will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, even though we look around and say, "Whoa, what's happening in Christendom today? He is still the head of the church. He is still the savior of the body and, and reckon on that. As he was there back in the wilderness, he is in control of these things happening. He knew, wasn't a uh, well, surprise to him that this was going to happen with these 12 spies. Uh, <clears throat> let's obey and hear the word of the Lord. We see the command to send God has commanded us also to go. The choice of the spies is given in verses 4 to 16. We won't read through them all, but each uh, one individual is chosen from each of the tribes. God knew who they would be and how they would respond, right or wrong. John's Gospel, chapter 6 and verse 70 says, I have chosen you. As he chose them, he has chosen us. And we've emphasized it a bit recently. It might be a bit more in the evening service tonight. But God has chosen us. God has placed us. 
He has saved us. He knew you'd know us and we'd know you, but we don't know a lot of people in a lot of other churches all around the world, millions of saved people all around the world. But you're here and you're a part of this body. It's like when you have your children. You know, That's the child God gave you with the nature they have and all the talents and gifts that they have. God, God chooses those and he knew who would be where when it come about. In John's Gospel, chapter 15 and verse 15, we read this. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Talking to his disciples, of course. But ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And whatever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. He's chosen us. As he chose the spies that were elected from the people, so he has chosen us to do his ministry. Paul was a chosen vessel, Acts 9.15. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 27. God hath chosen the foolish things and the weak things and the despised things to confound the wise of the world. God has chosen us to do his work and ministry. Let's not do what these people did and back out of doing what he wants us to do. It's a choice of the Lord that we be in his work. In 1 Peter 2, 9, it reads, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, speaking of the church, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Yes, we've been chosen, we've been commanded, as they were back then. And then they were commissioned. If we go back there in chapter 13, verse 17 through to 20. 17 through to 20 of Numbers 13. We read there in verse 17, And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and said unto them, Get you up in this way southward, that, and go up into the mountain, and see the land, what it is, and the people who dwell therein, whether they are strong or weak or few or many, and what the land is that they dwell in. You see, it had been hundreds of years since they'd gone down to Egypt. Now they're coming out of Egypt. Abraham would have known the land, wouldn't he? <laughs> Isaac and Jacob would have known the land because they wandered as pilgrims around in that land. But these people have come out of Egypt uh, Moses knew a bit of the south, but probably further south than the, than the land of Israel, where he was a shepherd for 40 years. But they were commissioned, the commissioning of the spies. Look at the people. Are they strong or weak? <laughs> when we look around the world today, you know, we, we think, of oh, who are we? <laughs> a little church in Lavington, not in a major city. You know, there's... There's Bill Gates and who else is a rich billionaire? <laughs> There's all these people got all their money and all their influence and affluence on people and society and they're pulling the strings in this world today too, let me tell you, with all this pandemic. There's people behind it. But anyway, the, you, you say, well, what can we do? Who are we? Ha, we're servants of the king. We're servants of the Lord. Don't forget that. <laughs> and the little that a righteous man hath, it can go a lot further than the revenues of the wicked. That's the scripture. And it says that. Don't, don't say, well, who are we? God can use you 
in wonderful ways to minister for him. Uh, the people up there, see if they're strong or weak, few or many. See what the land is like. Is it good or is it bad? Bad lands. <laughs> when you go down south in Arad and go down at Beersheba and that, it just looks, today it looks bad land. <laughs> it just looks flat and absolutely desolate. It doesn't. And then the shepherds were wandering around there with their goats and they were riding their donkey. It's just like Bible times when we, were, we drove through in a car. And here they were doing that. And I thought, what are those goats eating? <laughs> There's nothing there. But they were trotting them around in the valleys and places there. But I'm sure when they went there, it was different. It wasn't desolate. All the trees have been cut over and they're trying to replant them. But there it's... People were commissioned. We've been commissioned, have we not, <laughs> to go and do the work of the Lord. The conduct of the spies in verse 21 through to 25 is seen. So they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zin unto Rehob as men came to Hamath. Men come to Hamath. And they ascended by the south and came to Hebron. And so... <clears throat> To what extent did they search the land? Well, from the wilderness of Zin, that's right down south. That's like a rad down, down there but on the plains before it goes up into the mountains of Israel toward Jerusalem. And it stood on the mount on the Tel Arad. And you could look up there and look out. And you can imagine this is where the spies went in. And how far did they go up? They went westward. They went south. They went west and east. They also went north and they went right up to the height. If you look at the, where the town they went to, they went right up to the height of the level of almost the top of Cyprus. So way up into Lebanon, almost out of Lebanon that is Lebanon today. That's, that's where they went. They went through and they took some 40 days to do this. They would have been moving a lot every day. Now they're strangers in a foreign land and... Uh, in that day, you'd probably be able to pick them easier than what they could today, or even we could in our country today. But the, the conduct of the spies, they did what they were commissioned to do. They did a thorough job and knew a great deal about the land. They didn't have cameras. <laughs> they didn't have camcords. They, did, they had to keep it all in their memory. And there was a lot... You, <coughs> When you go away for a holiday, you go through all these towns. Oh, I'll remember that town. Have you been to Queensland? We drove all up way up, I think, once and come back through. Yep, I remember that town. Not even going back there. Oh, but these people remembered. This was important to them. This was the land of milk and honey that they were going to possess. And so the conduct of the spies was good, exemplary. In their, in their spying out the land. They did what they were, the job they were given to do. Then the confirmation of the spies' report in verse 26 of 13. And they went and came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation when they came back of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. They're getting the people all excited about what's in this land. I don't say Canaan is heaven. Okay, Canaan is a victorious Christian life. Heaven's after that. They were fighting battles in that land. And many of our hymns say that 
you know, I've reached the land of corn and wine, I've got to heaven, you know. But this, I believe, is the victorious Christian life that they were pointing out. And so they were getting the people excited, like evangelistic in their report of what they saw in the promised land, a land of milk and honey. And so they're confirming the report here to the children of Israel that had gathered and brought back word to them and showed them the fruit of the land. And it, as it says, and you know well, that what, is, what is it that they showed them, one of the, one of the fruits that we all remember? Grapes. The grapes. Thank you, the grapes. And the, the, the bunch of grapes. How big was the bunch of grapes? Huge. Huge. They bore it between two men, like on a stick and stick and carrying it like this. And that's, that, the, how big were the grapes? <laughs> you could get your face in one of those. <laughs> It'd come out like an avocado. Was it avocados, those orangey things? It was all dripping and sticky. <laughs> But they had, this was a report. And the people were, wow, <laughs> this is where we're going. <laughs> That's what it's like. We've been in this wilderness for about 15 months and we want to go there. So they're really winding them up. And they told him and said, We came into the land of which thou, thou sentest, in verse 27, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this phrase is used many times. Just a few of them, Exodus 3.8, Exodus 13.5, Exodus 33.2 and 3, a land of milk and honey. Numbers 14 and verse 8, just over a bit. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into the land and give us this land which flows with milk and honey. And over in chapter 16, remember when we were preaching there on the leadership challenge of Korah to Moses and Aaron, the leadership there, and we've got it in chapter 16, verse 13. Is it a small thing that thou hast brought us Up out of the land that floweth with milk and honey. What was Korah saying? You've taken us out of Egypt. Was the, that was the land of milk and honey. <laughs> to kill us in this wilderness, except thou make thyself a prince altogether over us. Moreover, thou hast not brought us into the land that floweth with milk and honey, or given us inheritance of the fields and vineyards. Wilt thou put out our eyes of these men? Wow, they were really hammering Moses and Aaron and saying you've not done what you said you would do and really they were saying that to God hey folks God has promised us a victorious Christian life but he's also promised us heaven hasn't he that is better than a land of milk and honey <laughs> that is a wonderful place It's, and you can think of verses in your mind you know, John's gospel chapter 14 You think of 1 Corinthians 15. I'm just coming off my head. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You think of the last few chapters of the book of Revelation. It's a wonderful place. Is God going to bring us there or not? He will bring us there. Do you think he can keep his promises? Yes. He could keep his promises to these people, but they just didn't have the faith. <laughs> they didn't believe. <clears throat> And so there's a confirmation here of the spies' report. It is a land that flows with milk and honey. It is, God has, it is as God has said it would be. It's a wonderful place. But now we get to the contortion of the ten spies. The ten, not the twelve. The ten spies. Contortion or twisting the truth. 
I think the New Testament uses that phrase in a sense in 2 Peter 3.16 where people rest the scriptures, twist the truth. And in Christendom, Christendom today, there are preachers everywhere that are resting the scriptures. They're twisting the truth. They're contorting what it's saying. <clears throat> and I can't but help just mention some of them. And these are the ones that are more off the wall than others. The Seventh-day Adventist. You listen to them say, yes, yes, no, no, no. As they, they, they bring this, they say they are opening the scriptures. William Miller is their beginner. And he predicted that the Lord would come in 1883. He didn't. And he put it off to 1884. And then he didn't come, and so he abandoned it. He was a Baptist too, by the way. <laughs> he was a Baptist. And then who took up the cry after he abandoned what he'd been preaching? Ellen G. White, the great controversy, the book that she wrote, <laughs> and brought all that deception in. And they were saying, and uh, William Miller, who started the SDA, said, that chapter 8 of the book of Daniel was prophetic. It was prophetic when it was written, but it was fulfilled back in the time of the Maccabean brothers. And they took a little phrase out of there, 2,300 years, they, I mean 2,300 days, I get mixed up with them, 2,300 days they would cleanse the temple. And so they got into Daniel 9 and said, oh, 490 We'll take 490 of 2,300 and we'll come up with the date, 1883. Totally mixed up. Daniel 8 is fulfilled. Daniel 9 is yet to be fulfilled and they totally messed that big time. But you know what? It didn't end there because as it went on in 1874, this was only a, a, you know, early in that period of time, that there was a split from them which started the Jehovah's Witnesses. You see, this is the contortion and twisting of truth by a few people has spread to multiple thousands around our world and large organisations. You know, we need to be careful. If the Lord tarried and the things that we introduce into our thought life and into our family life and into our church life we need to be careful because if they were twisted enough, there are people that will follow them and take them a lot further than we would emphasize. Let's interpret the scriptures correctly. And <clears throat> I meant to bring it up again, but Calvinism. It's contorting the truth. It's twisting it all around the world. Churches everywhere are falling for it. And they're going back to the Puritans. Now, a lot of their writings are good, but there is that that is contorted and twisted, and now it's being, it's taking over. <laughs> Bob Jones University, taking it over. It's a sad, sad thing. They had 5,000 students in 1998, they've got to in 2,400 now. I wonder what the Lord's doing. Is He not pulling the blessing away? from places that once stood and now have gone that way. 
These spies contorted and twisted the truth, didn't give an honest report. They corrupted, as it says in 2 Corinthians 11.3, the minds were corrupted from the simplicity that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> They've gone, as Galatians 1.6-9 says, as Paul spoke to them, to another gospel, which is not another, but it's a distortion of the truth. Uh, <clears throat> we're saved by grace through faith, aren't we? Did you have a choice in the matter? Yes, you did. <laughs> you did. If you said you didn't, you're a Calvinist. <laughs> you did have a choice in the matter. <laughs> and uh, you know, the big, one big thing is how can God judge anybody if they didn't make, have a choice and he chose for them? Huh? <laughs> but he has said he's going to judge people. And we will be accountable for how we behave and what we decide. <clears throat> Oh, trust in the Lord. Don't rest the scriptures. Notice in verse 28 there, 27 of 13, and told him and said, We came into this land to which thou saidest, and surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Have a look. Nevertheless, that's the, that's the word, isn't it, where it all changes. Nevertheless, this is, this is their contortion. This is what they're thinking. This is their mind on it. This is not God's mind on the situation. The people are strong who dwell in the land and the cities are walled and very great and moreover we saw the children of Anak there and the Amalekites dwell in the land. <clears throat> what they said was true but they were misinterpreting the facts. The report of the spies was factual, the land was fruitful, it was fortified, the population was mixed <clears throat> All had the same facts, the whole 12 of them. But Joshua and Caleb, they're mentioned back in verse 6 and verse 16 of two of the chosen men to go there into the promised land to spy it. They interpreted the facts differently. They interpreted the facts by faith. You see, the others didn't have it mixed with faith. They didn't, have, as Hebrews talks about it. We need to have it mixed with faith. We shouldn't go to the scriptures and try to nut it out with our little intellect. We need to believe what it says and let it tell us what it's saying, not us tell it what it should be saying. Let's go to the scriptures that way and not contort. But Caleb, Joshua, yes. <laughs> when you're afraid, you've lost your faith. Difficulties and problems are magnified when you're afraid instead of faithful. They become greater than they really are. Now, how do we know that in the report here that they gave? Where is it about the grasshoppers? Down the bottom. Down the bottom. Yes, verse 33, is it? <laughs> and, that, and there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, who came to who came of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, <laughs> and so we were in their sight. So they didn't have faith. They didn't believe it was possible. Now, see, it was their mind was not thinking right. A grasshopper, how big's a grasshopper? You know, he's about that big. How, how big's a man? Six foot, maybe. One to 72 inches. One inch, 72. They had it all out of whack, <laughs> 
Did David think that when he come to the battlefield there and his brothers were carrying and Saul was carrying? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? I don't care how big he is. <laughs> he didn't say that, but I can take him on with the strength of the Lord. So they were giants, but the men thought they were bigger than they actually were. You know, it's like the, the fish story, the fisherman's tale. The fish is always... Bigger, <laughs> bigger than you actually caught, <laughs> and so it was with these. Now I think that's a, a fisherman's tale. It's the other way round. <laughs> He's exaggerating, and they were exaggerating in the wrong way here. They look bigger because they were afraid of them. What an interesting contrast they give us here: giants and grasshoppers. <laughs> and so it is, as we mentioned earlier, with the world. I remember way back when they were doing the freeway through here. I remember what I said because I remember what I said. <laughs> I went down and sat on the hill there and, and looked at all the machines. And started, no, I'm not quite drooling. But <laughs> there was Hytrax D, D11s. There was twin power scrapers. So there was all the things that I use in a small way. You know, <laughs> it was a lot smaller than that. And you think, oh. And you looked at him and thought, I can reckon I could push as much dirt as he. He's just not given it to it. You know? But anyway, you know, <clears throat> we need to think of what God can do. It's not in the flesh. They have all the things. They have these things at their disposal. The world has them. But what is going to happen to the world? What's going to happen to all the stuff that these unsaved people have got? Gone. Finished with. Done. In the near future, all, all the cities will fall flat. Well, I don't know if we'll be allowed to, but as a church come back and have a, just to have a peek at what happened to the building after the tribulation here, might be fried, might be flat. Hey, it might still be standing. Who knows? Have you ever thought of that? I do. I think that through. I wonder if we're allowed to go back and have a look at where we were when we lived down here. Uh, will Australia still be? Who, who knows? It's an island and it says I, all the islands flee away. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> praise the Lord. We will, be, we will be safe in his hand. We will have an immortal body. We will be living the start of eternity forever and ever. Don't contort and twist the truth. But notice the con conviction of two spies in verse 30 of chapter 13. And Caleb, whoa, stop. He stilled the people. He said, hey, listen, be quiet. It sounds like Paul there when he stilled the people and listened to me. And uh, <clears throat> before Moses had said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. There's the man of faith, in contrast to the ten who didn't believe and twisted the truth. <clears throat> so there's a conviction of the two. How do you like standing amongst a group of people that all are in opposition to what you think? What, what do we tend to do as human beings? Just go, go with the crowd, you know. <laughs> And I've mentioned before an experiment they did in a university to see how, how, how strong the pull was to just go with the crowd. And they'd set it up that there's only one in the whole group that wasn't informed. And when the lecturer held up something, I think it was a colour, and he was 
plainly say red, but he said it's blue. And who believes it's blue? And everyone put their hand up but one person. And he's looking around. And after a bit, he starts thinking, I must be colorblind. It must be. So I'll put my hand up too. <laughs> you know, Caleb and Joshua would have felt a bit like that alongside Moses, wouldn't they? <laughs> Everyone's saying it's no good. But he spoke up and said, it, it is a good land. We can beat these giants. We can win the victory. <laughs> and so they had a conviction. Do we have a deep enough conviction that no matter who, what everybody else says, we're going to be a Jeremiah in Jerusalem telling them the truth whether they will hear or whether they will forbear. Do people like hearing the truth today? No. We pray that God gives you an opportunity to, to speak to someone that's inquiring about it. Chapter 14, the cry of the congregation. Notice in verse 1, And all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. They cried and they wept. They were all emotional. <laughs> Fleshly tears. They weren't humbly repentant of what these ten had convinced them to be or to believe, but they cried and wept. And then in verse 2, they murmured, and all the children of Israel murmured against Moses, against Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would to God that we died in the land of Egypt. How many times have we read that? I haven't gone back and read it. I looked them up, but many times, every time they had a gripe, every time they went off in their carnal flesh, they said this, would to God we died in Egypt. Would to God we're back in Egypt. Hey, where is Egypt going to end? What's going to happen? You know, Egypt picturing the world, as we mentioned already, it's all going to be flattened and renovated eventually. The cry of the congregation. Let's not listen to the majority. They're not, often not right. <laughs> and they endeavoured to appoint somebody to lead them back to Egypt. In verse 4, and they said one to another, let us make us a captain and let us return to Egypt. <laughs> and then Moses and Aaron fell on their face. And so the cry of the congregation and the pleading of Moses for the pardon of the people. He pleaded in verse 11 of chapter 14. The Lord said to Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have shown among them. Listen, we have had 6,000 years of human history back in 1996 or 5. That's been about 6,000 years according to reckonings. We've had the Bible. We've had people who are... Humbly, or who have humbly interpreted the scriptures. We've got books coming out our ears about all that's been written about the Bible. And we can compare scripture with scripture and books with books or whatever, and we can come to the truth. But what is the, what is the church doing with all that that's been given? What is the world doing? Let's go back to our old reasonings. Let's go back to humanism. Let's go back to say we come from monkeys. You know, God looks down and saying, why? Why, when I've done all that I have done for you in sending my son to save you, that you're going back to the wicked ways of the evil one? And so we have the pleading of Moses for the pardon of the people. In those verses 18 and 19, we read there, 
The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgressions, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation. Pardon, pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of thy mercy, as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even till now. Notice in verse 22. Because all those men who have seen my glory, they've seen what God has done. We have history as a record of what God has done and my miracles which I did in Egypt and all the wilderness and have tempted me now these ten times, it says there, and have not, not hearkened to my voice. Ten times. They've seen it all, but they will not believe. This whole generation had seen what was going on. <clears throat> and so the people... People's pardoned, and God did pardon them, but what did he do? He stopped them from taking possession of the land. This generation is not going in. <laughs> These ten times you've tried the Lord. <laughs> You're not going in. And if you've got time, read Psalm 78 at your leisure, and it goes right through all these plagues and things that they'd seen, and then what they did at the end. And it's a sad ephetah on the tombstone of these people of Israel in the wilderness. Notice verse 32 of chapter 14 where it says this, And your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. Your children are going to suffer for the decision you made. They're going to have to wander around in this wilderness for forty years because you did what you did. Hey, our children pay the consequences of our unbelief, even though they weren't the ones. They eventually got into the land. They took the land. But they had to suffer it for 40 years. <clears throat> but notice how um, pointed, uh, how else can you put it? Your carcasses will fall in this wilderness. <laughs> What's our body? Just a... Carcass. We don't like to say that, do we? You think of that as a casket, a body in a casket. <laughs> Your carcasses will be in there. And then God said that. You know what? If there were 600,000 able-bodied men that came out of Egypt, which it says in the scripture, and they died over 40 years, they had to all die off. They were all waiting for the last guy <laughs> to die. And then we can go in to the land. Now, Uncle so-and-so is still alive. Another few years in the wilderness. You know. oh. But for, you divide that out. Six, 60 divided by 600,000 by 40 and, and work it all out. You've got 42 funerals per day happening in the wilderness. Now there should be a whole heap of graves from the promised land around in circles as they went of Jewish people that were buried in the wilderness. Because they didn't burn them, they weren't doing that, they were burying them. And <clears throat> the people were pardoned, but the promised possession was revoked. Paul, and we, let's just look at a couple of verses. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18. We have to be careful that we do not do what they did. We've got promises of the Lord. We need to believe them by faith. Take them. Prophetical truths. They're ours. God gave them to us. And believe them. 
because if we don't, the consequences will be on our children and ourselves. We will not have the blessing of God in our lives, save that his mercy changes it or his grace, (laughs) that we could have had in our life. Shipwrecks. In verse 18 of chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Don't quit. Don't go back. Don't say I want to go back to Egypt. Press forward. Holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made what? Shipwreck. Shipwrecked. Here was a whole generation of hundreds of thousands of men that were shipwrecked because they didn't believe. Don't go there. (laughs) How many have known and heard God's, God's call on their life to serve him and said no? And all the rest of their life they're just filling in time, ruining and regretting the day that they said no, and often wreaking havoc in the church and causing problems all the way because they have an ability that they'd like to exercise but God has said no to them because they said we won't go we won't do it early in their in their days and there's another chap just over in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 let's yeah Hebrews 12 let's look at it we're not far from it Hebrews 12 And verse 16 and 17. Lest there be any fornicator like or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, it was his to inherit, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. He'd had his opportunity, he rejected the opportunity like these people in the wilderness, and God said, No. Praise God, it's not always that way. (laughs) Praise God, he gives us often another opportunity. And Paul was very conscious of the fact that this could have happened to him too. Even though he was an apostle and a preacher and got a lot of revelation from the Lord in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27, he said this, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. You, You and I are tempted all the time. And we can do a sin that will affect all our ministry, all our lives, and our family, just like they did in the wilderness. Paul said, I'm going to keep my body and bring it into subjection. It's like I'm going to flatten it with a knockout punch, if you looked up the words here. Lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Castaway. God's done with me, and I'm just filling in time. Ah, they mourned greatly back there in verse 39. They mourned greatly. Uh, But that didn't change the heart of God. They'd made their decision. And then the presumption of the rebels is seen there in verse 40 down to 44. And they rose up early in the morning and and, uh, got them up into the top of the mountain saying, Lo, we're here. (laughs) Too late, fellas. And we will go up unto the place which the Lord had promised for us, for we have sinned. They recognised their sin, but they weren't. They still didn't have the humble heart of repentance that they needed. And Moses said, Wherefore now do you transgress? 
you're sinning on sin and the commandment of the Lord but it shall but it shall not prosper go not up you're going to be beaten and verse 44 and they presumed to go up unto the hilltop nevertheless the ark of the covenant of the Lord and and Moses departed not out of the camp and the Amalekites came down and the Canaanites who dwelt in the hill and smote them and discomforted them or um, routed them even to Hormah. And so it was that these who presumed to do God's will and saying God said no, we say yes, we're going to do it. We don't like the consequences here too late, too late. You've been shelved. You've been shipwrecked. You've been cast away. You've been rejected like Esau. Don't do it. Self-appointed apostles, so to speak. The Diotrephes prating against John with malicious words and against those who were friends of John. He's an evil man, it says in Third John. Unholy vain talkers and deceivers, subverting whole houses. Titus 1, 9-16 subverting whole houses just like they did in in that time in the wilderness don't be a part of those sort of people the promise to the faith of the last point in verse 24 going back there but my servant Caleb because he hath another spirit within him and hath followed me fully him will I bring into the land whereinto he went and his seed shall prosper and uh, verse 30 that we've read Doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swore to make you dwell therein, except Caleb, the son of Jehonath, and Joshua, the son of Nun. The two faithful people. They were the same age as these other chaps, but all those others died. We didn't look at that, but they died of the hand of the Lord, the ten other spies. But these two were still alive. And what happened when they got into the land? And we haven't got time to read the story, but <clears throat> Caleb said, 85 years old, 85 years old, he said, my hand is still as strong today as when I come to search this place out 45 years ago. <laughs> he said, I want that mountain. You promised it to me, that's mine. <laughs> and what did God give it? He gave it to him, didn't he? The promises come. Yeah, for Four decades, four and a half decades later, he got the promise. Sometimes we have to wait for God's blessing, but it will come. And it might not come until we go out into eternity. They wholly followed the Lord. I've called these chaps that tried to go up to the mountain after God said no, the bravado boys. (laughs) They're around today still. We'll go in the strength of the flesh. We will do it. And they, they employ all sorts of methods to fill their churches with fleshly means. Worldly wise ways. Don't work. God wants it done his way. His way or no way. <laughs> Let's be faithful in just keeping the simplicity of the gospel. Taking out to, to folks that uh, all ears to hear it if they are. And if they're not, tell them anyway. That we might see a harvest in the day to come. And we might hear when we get to heaven, what do we want? What do we want to hear? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Forever, forever. 
Praise God. He's given us those promises. Let's be a Caleb. Let's be a Joshua. Let's, let's have the strength of the Holy Spirit to do the work of the Lord the way God wants it done. Heavenly Father, thank you for the example of these people. O oh Lord, let us be warned that there are right ways and wrong ways to go about things from the example we find today. And let's not presume that in our strength we can do battle for the Lord because we cannot. This is the Lord's work and we leave it to, for him to do through his spirit, using us as instruments surrendered to him. Lord, if there be those who are here today who haven't come out of Egypt yet, they're still in the world and enjoying the leeks and the onions and, and think it's all so well, it's like a land flowing with milk and honey. May they see it's a land desolate and it's going to all be destroyed. May they look for a city like Abraham whose builder and maker is God and look to he that makes it and builds it, the Lord Jesus Christ, for in him, faith in him, gives them eternal life. He is the one that provides their salvation. He is the one that paid the price on the cross. Turn them to you today and may they be saved. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.